Welcome to Staples Centered, a limited series brought to you by Cardboard of the Rings Presents. I'm Bartley, and with me is Shellen. On this podcast, we'll try to make the case for why some less popular cards should be considered staples for your decks. Today, we're going to cover three cards from the leadership sphere. And Shellen, why don't you just get us started right here with the first card? So the first one is going to be kind of from one of our newer sets here, and it is Angbor the Fearless. Uh, and, you know, he, he probably makes our criteria for this barely on a technicality just because he is so new. Um, he, he is a five popularity score on RingsDB and probably destined to climb a little higher than that. But he's a unique ally uh, with two cost, two willpower, one attack, zero defense, and two hit points. He is a Gondor and a warrior and has text, while your threat is 40 or higher, Angbor the Fearless gets plus two attack and does not exhaust to quest. And, I mean, I think just looking at his stat line, and you should be able to kind of see why you would think this is a leadership staple right away. And it's it's the two willpower, two cost, two hit points, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, one of, he's one of three cards in the pool that has it, along with Mary Ally and Rosie Ally. And much like them, especially if you're in a deck that doesn't have spirit, He's probably worth putting some copies in your deck, even if your tech, even if he has a blank text box. Like even if you're not ever planning on hitting forty threat, he's probably still worth tossing in your deck, right? Yeah, his uh, cost to willpower for leadership is really good. This is the type of um, cost you would see on a uh, non-unique ally in Spirit and say is good. So you have to pay mm-hmm. a, sort of a little bit of a tax here because he's unique in leadership, but. Yeah, two for two, and that bonus extra hit point for two is underrated, I think, by people. But yeah, I just think uh, just that alone, as you said, is is good enough to put him in. His uh, ability is like a type of like kicker ability to me is how I think about it, because it's like, yeah, maybe at some point I'll be 40 or higher, and then, sweet, I get um, this guy's doing double duty for me. But if I don't get it, uh, it's not that big of a deal because i'm really putting this guy in for his uh willpower not necessarily for his attack ability yeah yeah this is a a wild card to me (laughs) he he definitely is very good it's it's interesting that he is incredible in the archetype that he's designed for like if you throw him in a valor gondor deck that has visionary and boromir all of a sudden you've got a three quest for attacker (laughs) for only two cost yeah, um, and he might not exhaust the quest too. Like, yeah, he could be like MVP of your board. Which is, yeah, crazy. But even when you're not using any synergies with him whatsoever, you know, you have one leadership splash hero and need some extra willpower, he's still incredible. Um, like you said, the uniqueness, I think, is the only very, very minor <laughs> drawback uh, to him. When you're looking at building a deck, how many copies of Angmore do you think you're going to throw in? probably either probably one maybe two it depends on what type of deck i'm playing and and if it's my uh if i'm playing like a dual sphere one leadership hero or playing a dual sphere two leadership heroes might depend on uh how many i would put in i think i would do two if i had two leadership heroes one if i had one leadership just because um i don't want so many dead cards for my off sphere hero but yeah i think one to two is fine you don't need three of them i think that's a, a waste of space unless you're gonna jump this guy which like there are better jumps in leadership 
So I think one to two is, is kind of where I'm leaning. I'm with you. I think if I'm building a deck, I put two copies in just kind of mindlessly as I'm building the deck and then maybe look at the, what my willpower is looking like and, and that sort of thing and might drop it to one. Yeah, that's prob- probably what I would do. Start with two, cut him down to one if you are looking at tight space. Um, depending on if you have other, like you said, cards that boost leadership, like um, visionary leadership or sword that was broken, then you don't need as many of this guy as you do of those attachments, you know? For sure. And I, I, I mentioned that, like, it's a great card when you're not running Spirit and all those sorts of things. I still probably throw one copy in my deck, even if I am running, you know, my West Road Travelers and Ethier Swordsman and stuff, because just the off chance that I hit that 40 threat is worth having the the action advantage quester and attacker, even if I might have other cheaper options for questing on the board. Yeah, and if he's only one of in a deck, it's like, if you draw him, cool. If you don't, not a big deal, but you're not going to be having multiples of these stuck in your hand, so it's not like, I drew two Angbor early in my hand, and now I'm like, got a dead card. It's like, eh, just one, whatever. Yeah, so like I said when I was introing it, I think I think we might see this one creep up the popularity rankings a little bit. It's It's already like the... Th- what fourth most popular card in the final cycle excluding the contracts so i mean it's it's one of the more used cards from the vengeance of mortar cycle in general i I think we'll see yeah he's he's gonna go up in popularity as you're saying because he's clearly good there's not a lot of and he's, he's not sexy in terms of a lot of stuff but he's clearly good and i think people who get their hands on him will be immediately putting him into decks because he's an upgrade over many other to cost leadership allies. Yeah, absolutely. But should I take us to uh, another two cost leadership ally, Sheldon? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. You're about so... the scout. <laughs> I think he did qualify for the uh, the criteria of the less than five. Uh, not surprisingly. Um, no, we're going to talk about our qualifier for our old one. Our pre 2016 card is going to be Harold. Of Anorian. So yes, your your uh, neighbor named Harold from Anorian. Um, he <laughs> is a two-cost leadership ally. Got one willpower, zero attack, one defense, one hit point, trade Gondor. Not a lot going on here, right? But his uh, text box says, you may give Harold of Anorian Doom 2 when you play from your hand. If you do, it gains response. After you play Harold of Anorian, Choose a player. That player may put into play one ally from his hand with a printed cost two or lower. So, as we, we kind of, as I kind of alluded here, statistics not really the reason you're playing this guy, though a two cost ally is typically considered okay for chumping somebody. If you got to throw an ally under the bus, two is not. The worst one is better, obviously, and zero is even better, but two is okay. That's really all about his ability. This doomed two that lets somebody else, I don't even, sorry, I spoiled what I was going to say there, that somebody put an ally that costs two or less into play. Uh, so doomed two does suck, uh, especially in multiplayer, it can be bad because you're raising everybody's threat by two. However, what's nice is that it says you can choose a player at the table and they can do it. So it doesn't have to just be you. You're not the only one who's benefiting from it. So that's nice if someone's like, man, I really need to get in an ally from my hand. You can help them. Uh, as long as you um, 
you know, take the Doom 2 and you're able to play this guy. Uh, so I do have a list of some allies I was thinking about potentially playing, but Shellen, what do you kind of think about this before I give a list of some people I think would be cool to play with this? Yeah, the, the Doomed 2 is a cost, um, especially as you start creeping up the player count level. Uh, and that's a reason that some of these cards that came out in that cycle, you know, there was one for each sphere that had the, you may give this ally Doomed 2 uh, to do it. And it's him, the Henneth Anungard, the Glaive Grey Flood Wanderer and the Mirkwood Pioneer. Um, you know, there's a reason we don't see hardly any of these in decks except for this guy. And because the Doom 2 is tough. You know, when you use a Doomed event, everybody reaps the benefits. You know, everybody draws two cards, everybody gets a resource. When you're doing it with the ally, it, everybody's raising their threat, but only one ally is coming in, regardless of how many people. Um, which you know, and I think we might talk about this a little bit on the next card of our staples, too. It does make this one maybe more of a staple at one and two players than it might be at three and four. But you've got so many options for accelerating your board, playing off-sphere allies, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to hear kind of the list of the, the two-cost allies that you think would be most useful here. Okay, so I think the most obvious one... I should preface this. One of the things that's nice about this card is it lets you cheat into... All- Cheat in all sphere allies. So mm-hmm. if you are playing like mono leadership, you can put an ally into play that's from spirit tactics or lore. And like a very good tale is a very common way to do it. And that's a very, very popular card. This is another way to do it if you're looking for an ally. So I had a few here I thought would be nice. Um, I think the best one is Warden of Healing, uh, sure. two cost guy just uh, that can heal. He's the best healer in the game. I think uh, the four. Original co-host of CUTR, Brandon, used to um, always call uh, this guy Master of Healing by mistake because it's like <laughs> yeah, he kind of sort of is the Master of Healing in this game. Uh, so that's very good because that's what, that's a card that will benefit everybody at the table too because um, he can pass around his healing. So, uh, Sheldon, if we were playing and I was played this guy and he said, hey, uh, Doom 2, I'm going to put in a Warden of Healing, I'm pretty sure you would say, okay, that sounds good. Um, yeah, yeah. Unless I'm running a secrecy deck, and then even then, I I probably have no choice but to agree. Yeah, just because he's he's so aces, he's so good. Um, yeah. I thought Ally Arwin, uh, she's good too because she can give the plus one defense sentinel, but she's also got good stats as well. Mm-hmm. Um, some like basic ones, uh, Defender of Aramis, he's good. I thought Honor Guard, another one that can be used for other players too, that can stop healing. Uh, another Otisphere ally, or that could stop damage. Sorry, he doesn't. He's like sort of healing out of tactics. Um, if someone's playing like a really heavy combo deck, they might want to get Master of the Forge into play ASAP. Uh, that's a very popular combo card if people are playing like big attachment heavy decks. And that was kind of like not as great, but if someone's like, hey, if you give me Master of the Forge turn one and I can draw like so many attachments and some of them are going to benefit, I would have a hard time being like, mm, I don't want your, your combo deck to start doing its combo. <laughs> um, right. And, and then, then a few uh, allies that had come into play abilities I thought were also good. Um, the Gladrill's Handmaiden gives the minus one threat. Um, Soldier of Gondor lets you draw cards. Uh, Knight of Belfalas can bring back cards. Uh, cautious halfling. I forgot what that card did. <laughs> uh, um, so the, you probably the, wouldn't want a cautious halfling this one, I think. 
<laughs> yeah, that's not that great, but it is. It, it, um, oh, wait, no, I'm thinking the wrong one. I was thinking the the spirit one you toss in. Cautious is the lore one that looks at the deck, right? Uh, yeah, the, the pie okay. lady. The, the pie, pie lady. Hobbit. Okay, yep, I was thinking Hobbit. the wrong one. I was thinking Curious Brandy Buck. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those will bring that one in. Um, the Minstrel uh, for the card draw and the Long Lake Fisherman, another one that can do card draw combo f- stuff. So that's something, too, I thought, if, if you're looking at people that just have, like, when they enter play abilities, um, not specifically play from your hand because it is going to be enters play, those are things, too, that could still be good for... Like, if you're playing solo and you're like, I didn't get my combo piece, but I have two leadership resources. I'll play this, put Long Lake Fisherman in or something like that, or play Soldier of Gondor, try to get more pieces into my hand as, I can, as quickly as I can, would be nice, too. I think <laughs> some of those are less good as more players go, but I think if uh, two-player, I was like, hey, I'm doing Doom 2 for Herald of Anorian. I'll play Galandriel's Handmaid, and I'll give you the minus one threat, I think you would say yes to that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And the, the theme that I'm kind of picking up here on all the cards that you're, you're choosing as your, your favorites to throw in is a lot of them are doing things that leadership can't do by itself, right? Yes. You're talking healing, you're talking card draw, you're talking card filtering, searching your deck, you know, these sorts of boosting defense, extra willpower, uh, these sorts of things that, you know, maybe you can't include in your deck because of your hero lineup. And that is definitely where I think the staply sort of nature of this card should come in is that it can be a very big toolboxy sort of card to get you things that you couldn't normally include in your deck without, you know, running a song or good harvest uh, to alternatively let yourself use those things. It has the added benefit that it accelerates your board state, whereas good harvest does not, right? So you're Mm -hmm. getting this accelerated extra ally that you didn't have to pay for, likely at a threat raise that is pretty negligible in most quests. Um, And in addition to getting the extra ally out, you're getting access to this thing that you you just didn't have natively in your leadership sphere. Yeah, and I mentioned it, this card actually combos well with a very good tail, because you do this guy for two... Doom 2, another 2-cost ally, play a very good tail. I can put 4 costs of allies into play, and he can be off to the races. Um, so, another reason why I like this guy, as you mentioned, accelerates your board. Um, I, think, I think he can do some good work there. So, uh, Shellen, how many, car, or how many copies of this card are you probably thinking of putting in? That's a good question. Uh, it really depends on how badly I need that extra effect. You know, if I am building a leadership deck that, you know, I just desperately need some card draw beyond what, you know, maybe sneak attack can do, and I your sneak Gandalf, that is, and I can't include, you know, Gildor and Glorian Hero or something, so I desperately need to get Wine into play somehow, or I, I desperately need healing in this quest, I might run three of him. Uh, I think in just like a normal case where I'm just hoping for the acceleration and bumping up my board state, maybe two. Um, But like you said, like two costs for one willpower isn't terrible in leadership and you can chump him if need be. So like, even if you choose to not trigger the response because you didn't have a combo piece in hand, or maybe you'd already gotten it out, it's he's still a pretty worthwhile ally to throw on the table. And if you're running leadership, you probably have the dollars to do it. Right. Yeah, he's not 
Yeah, because he's a response. It's not a big deal if you're like, well, I really can't take the Doom 2. I really don't want to. But I still need someone to go out and eat it to this troll or whatever. Uh, you can still play him and it's okay. I was thinking probably three because if I'm putting him in, I'm probably thinking about cheating in off-sphere allies. So I right. was like, um, at that point, I'm probably putting in two or three Wardens of Healing and maybe like a copy of Arwen or something like that. So I would probably consider three. I could see two, though, depending on if deck space is getting tight and you're, only, you're not playing that many out-of-sphere things. Um, it does depend, like we said, a little bit on your um, partner, too. Because if you're playing with somebody who's also playing a lot of two-cost allies, I think it gains a lot of juice. But if they're playing like all high-cost allies, or if they're playing like an Elfstone deck or like a Kaldara deck or something like that, and they're just like, oh, most of my allies cost three or four. It's like, right. ah, okay, this is not as helpful. So um, then it's only really benefiting you. So yeah, that's kind of how I... Two or three. I lean three. but um, I, I think so, too. Yeah. We've talked about one resource kind of acceleration card. Why don't you tell me about our last choice here, Shellen? Yeah, Man the Walls from the, the Ghost of Fromsburg, Pat, um, is a zero-cost leadership event that says, play only if no other copies of Man the Walls have been played this round. And then a planning action. Reduce the cost of the next ally played by each player this phase by one. Those allies cannot quest this round. And, and yeah, like you mentioned, leadership is the resource sphere, right? I mean, I don't think anybody would push back on that. We've gotten resource accelerants from the core set all the way through the end of the game in this sphere. But I think this is one that is pretty severely underused, especially in multiplayer settings. So it, it can be good solo, and I think we'll kind of discuss that a little bit, but this is kind of like the opposite of Herald of Anorian for me. The, the bigger the player count, the better this is. This should be a card like Campfire Tales has become, that if you're going to, you know, a con or something like that, you bring all three copies of this with you and can slot it into your decks <laughs> to help out your group at, at, at leadership events, or if, if you have leadership access. Because you could potentially be saving all four players a resource with it. Mm -hmm. And the, the drawback that they can't quest, I don't know. I, I've played this card a fair bit, and I have never felt punished <laughs> by this drawback at all. Uh, have you? Well, uh, <laughs> no one's ever played this card for me, Shellen, unfortunately, oh, since funny. it came out. Um, I, actually, maybe that's not true. Maybe one person played it for me at... Um, Con of the Rings, someone might have done it for me. Um, but, well, the thing that is kind of neutralizes it is it's reduced the cost of the next ally played by each player. So you can you don't have to pl play your questing guy. If you're going to play two allies, be like, right. I'll play my ally that's not questing first, and then I'll play my questing ally. So as the other players, you can mitigate this by taking a second to stop and, and think a little bit. Um, about your your order of playing stuff. So, and since it's an action, you can play it. You know, if maybe the first player desperately needs to get an Ethier Swordsman down to help out, right? The group, you play it after they drop that guy down. You know, you can mm -hmm. you can really work around it a bit if you need to. Yeah, exactly. And um, the reason why this card is so good, in my opinion, is 
the game is always the hardest at the beginning when you just have your heroes and nothing else and the encounter deck has usually got locations or um, enemies or like a quest with effects into play. And so you, that's always when you lose the game the most is the beginning of the game. Or even if you don't actually end the game in the beginning, it's like you actually lost the game in the first three turns, you just didn't realize it for like four turns. Uh, this is the type of card that um, can help you turn the tide of the game uh, Shellen, this is a card that um, kind of affects one of my favorite phrases that you will understand, win probability. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it, when the game starts, you have the lowest win. You should have the lowest win probability if the game goes well, right? Um, that's when the game is most likely to win versus you winning. Uh, and then this card is the type of card that can help you change that quickly because it's like, oh, minus one on an ally for, like you said, could be minus four resources, essentially, for an entire table. It just helps you get going really quickly. Uh, and that's why I really like this card. And I agree that um, it should be on that level of Campfire Tales for you're going to a con or you're going to a meetup when you know there's going to be a lot of people, you should be putting this in. Um, if you're playing it by yourself, uh, I guess I would maybe there's some other choices you could do because you're only getting a minus one. Right. And then at that point, the, the drawback of the not questing can hurt you a lot more because it's like um, every card you play in solo is much more important than every card you play in multiplayer. I, I hope people understand that kind of obviously because you, everything is, affects only you and only you can affect the game. Uh, nobody else can bail you out. So you need to be playing the most optimally uh, every single turn. I want to talk about something... Uh, sorry. Before you talk about something seriously, Shellen, if I told you I call this pack Framsburg Comes Alive, do you know what that's in reference to? I do not. No. Oh, Enlighten okay. me, please. Um, do you know who Peter Frampton is? Uh, I'm, I'm probably going to get killed for this one, but uh, the name <laughs> sounds vaguely familiar, and I want it, to say probably music in some yes, capacity. He's but a I'm, musician. I'm the least uh, musically knowledgeable person on Earth. Uh. He's most famous for a uh, very famous band, Pink Floyd. Um, but he, he had a solo career. Um, and he had uh, this one album called Frampton Comes Alive. And that's... Okay. Um, oh, sorry. I'm wrong. Uh, wasn't, who am I thinking about for... Pink Floyd. I think it's something, somebody else. Sorry, Frampton comes alive. I'm think, I'm wrong about that. That's somebody else. Because um, I, like, I said that, I'm like, actually, you know what? I don't think that's right. Uh, I think I'm associating with somebody else that he worked with, but probably because I saw him in uh, what's that one movie with the Beatles, the Stoner one, Sgt. Pepper's Only Heart Club. Uh, mm. He's in that movie. Uh, yeah, so that's a reference to that. John understands that one. I think he's the only person I've ever said it to who gets that. Anyway, Sean, tell me your serious point. Man, I've <laughs> I've completely lost it. Uh, no, the kind of counter to the Herald of Anorian bit, where I think the Herald of Anorian becomes more useful to you the more leadership heroes you have. I think Man the Walls becomes uh, more useful to you the fewer leadership heroes you have. This is the type of card that I think works best if you only have the one leadership hero kind of splashed in. Uh, at least in lower player counts, because then you can use it to, you know, reduce the cost of any of your spheres, especially if you're running like a tri-sphere deck or something. 
all of a sudden you can play your Defender of Ramas turn one. You can play your Glaywine or Warden of Healing turn one because you can, you know, just basically reduce the cost of it by one and, and get it right out there. So I think the utility at lower player counts, if you're trying to work this in, that is where you might consider looking at it as a staple, uh, especially if you're trying to avoid Deward and, uh, you know, some of those other sorts of things. At, and as you get to multiplayer, it kind of works for, for everything, but it still works pretty well if you know that, you know, somebody else at the table is running your resource accelerants that you want. This is a way you can get some resource acceleration still knowing that, you know, fellow across the table has the steward already and somebody else, you know, already is rocking Olorian and that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, if you're playing like an off-sphere leadership, I think this is pretty nice because then you don't have to worry about saving up resources to get a card into play. You can just play this right away, turn one. Um, Sheldon, how many would you probably put in a deck? I think if I am putting this in my deck, I'm starting with three. Like, it, it might get cut down to two based on, you know, the rest of the deck construction, but uh, if I'm planning on putting Man the Walls in, I'm planning for three cards of it. Because I want I... to use it. Yeah, I agree. I think three, because the point of this card is that you're supposed to get it early, and we want to play it early to help you um, establish yourself as quickly as possible. So even if you draw this card late, it's like you want to see it as soon as possible. So cards like that, I think you should do three of, because even if, like I said, you get it late, it's like, well, I played it early. It got me where I needed to. If I draw it late, it's not that big of a deal, because, as I said, the beginning is the hardest, and you should want to get yourself into position to win as quickly as possible. And I think this is the type of card that does that. Definitely. And, you know, th there might be some cards that you can look at as being better in the sphere, like uh, Legacy of Numenor kind of does a similar effect for everybody. But if you're, especially if you're not wanting the Doomed 4, this is a type of card you should really be looking at, can, you know, going into, going into your deck. Yeah, compared to Legacy of Numenor, I think you're, teammates are going to be <laughs> happier to see this than Legacy of Numenor, probably, if you try to drop it on the table. Uh, Legacy of Numenor, you might have to be, do a little bit more convincing or hope that they're not trying for something specifically with the low threat deck. Man the Walls, uh, I don't think anyone's saying no, because if someone doesn't benefit from it, if they're like, I'm playing three hunters, so I have all attachments, no uh, allies, it doesn't hurt them. Right, it, you know, yeah, it doesn't exactly. It doesn't help them, but it's a net, it's a neutral net neutral for them. It's not a big deal. If someone's like, I don't have any allies, I can play this turn anyway. But the other three players, if you're playing a four player game, can. That's fine. You know, it's it's a zero cost card. It's not that big of a deal to not get or for a player not to totally benefit from from it. I think so. Um, so now that we've kind of gone over our three cards here, uh, which one of these three do you think? is your favorite of the bunch that like, if you, if you had to pick just one of them to be like this, this one should be the staple, which one would you choose? Um, well, I think the card that will be is Angbor. I think the card that I'm more interested in is man the walls though. Yeah. I'm with you hundred percent here. I think, I think we're already almost at a point where Angbor is considered a staple by a lot of people. And I think we'll get there. But I'm with you. I think Man the Walls should be in a lot more decks than it is in. Yeah, I think for the spirit of the show, I think it's more of the correct answer. 
because you like you said Angbor I think is so obviously good and uh, people are going to play it. But man, the walls I think is there's so many type of types of cards like this in leadership that help you with resources. I think you might overlook it because you're going to play steward and a very good tail first. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think you you got to give this one another look. Is how I feel. Cool. Well, I think that probably wraps it up for us here on this leadership show, unless you've got something else to talk about here, Bardley. Mm, I think I've said everything I want to say about these cards and my incorrect uh, bans for Peter Frampton, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, come come talk about I, I, that I, on I, our Patreon page and, and let Bardley know how wrong he was. That way I can Yeah, I have well. to be honest. Uh, let's be real. Let me go back to this when this album came out. Frampton Comes Alive came out in... Looks like January 6th of 1976, a little before yes. either of our time. Yeah, so this card came out like 25 years before I was born, I think, if my math is... Or no, no 15 years before I was born. Uh, so, yeah, it's not a surprise. I don't really know who this guy is very well. The only time I've ever seen him, like I said, was in Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band, which is like a real stoner movie. Um, but I, I had to see it because it was like... My parents were like, oh, this movie's so weird. Uh, it's got all the, but it's based on Beatles music and it was wild. Anyway, um, since I'm digressing here and uh, we're not talking about anything relevant to the show, I think it's time to wrap it up and we'll uh, see everybody on our next episode, um, which if you didn't listen to episode zero, will be paywalled. Uh, the rest of the series will be paywalled to our $1 per episode patrons. So I just want to say thanks to everybody who uh, sponsors us, donates to us, whatever whatever the backs us, whatever, whatever the phrasing is. Uh, thanks to everybody who is a patron of Cardboard of the Rings because this show uh, was funded by you, sort of. So thanks.